Richard Walker, our London Walks guide, and I guide a Jack the Ripper walk that goes right through the middle of Whitechapel. And Whitechapel, for a long time, the whole area, of course, was rural, sparsely populated by small-scale farmers. But by the Middle Ages, a little village had developed about half a mile west of Whitechapel Underground Station, huddled against the city wall there. And in the early 1300s, a little chapel was built for the village. And it was painted white. Yes, it became known as the White Chapel, and that's how the name came about. By the late 1800s, if anybody thought about Whitechapel, well, it was simply to shudder at the slums that filled it, and the squalor in which its slum dwellers existed. But in 1888, Whitechapel became a byword for horror. On April 3rd, 1888, 45-year-old Emma Elizabeth Smith was brutally attacked and died the next day from her injuries. On August the 7th, 39-year-old Martha Tabram was stabbed 39 times. Then in 10 weeks, beginning August the 31st and ending November the 9th, the five women who are believed by many to be the victims of Jack the Ripper, known by Ripperologists as the Canonical Five, were murdered in what became known as the Autumn of Terror. First was 43-year-old Polly Nichols. Eight days later, 48-year-old Annie Chapman. Three weeks after that, the double event of September the 30th saw two women murdered in less than an hour. 44-year-old Liz Stride and 46-year-old Kate Eddowes. And six weeks after the double event, on November the 9th, the murder of the only victim under 40, 25-year-old Mary Kelly. The Whitechapel murders made headlines around the world. And they filled Whitechapel's population with terror and fascination. Terror and fascination fed by journalists, whose descriptions of the slaughter left nothing out. Like Stephen King, they knew the kind of stories that would be bestsellers. These murders massively increased the sales of newspapers. Another genre that has produced bestsellers, as Agatha Christie has proved, is the whodunit. And there are more than a hundred suspects that have been put forward in this particular whodunit. An early suspect was a young barrister called Montague John Druitt. There was the suspect known as Leather Apron, a Jewish shoemaker called John Pizer. George Chapman, Polish barber, another Polish barber called Aaron Kosminski. Canadian-born doctor Francis Tumblety. Queen Victoria's grandson, Prince Albert Victor. Even Dr Thomas Bernardo, who was setting up orphanages in the East End, he's been put forward as a suspect. Queen Victoria's physician, Sir William Gull, the German merchant sailor, Karl Fiegenbaum. And it's claimed by some that the American con man, Herman Webster Mudgett, known uh, more often as H.H. H. Holmes, he was Jack the Ripper, H.H. H. Holmes, who was executed for first-degree murder in Chicago in 1896. If it is the suspects that fascinate you, then you should read the mammoth book of Jack the Ripper. The editors persuaded 16 experts to make the case for their favourite candidate. They're all very persuasive. Of course, they can't all be right, although they could all very easily be wrong. One of them says that Frederick Charrington was the killer. Charrington was born into a successful family of brewers and was set to inherit more than a million pounds. But when he was 19, he saw a woman with her baby outside a pub. She was pleading for her husband to leave the pub and give her some money for food. The husband came out, only to knock the woman into the gutter. Frederick leapt to intervene, only to be knocked into the gutter himself. He looked up to see the name 
of his own family across the front of the pub. He swore he would never take another penny from the Charrington family brewing business, and he dedicated his life to campaigning against the evils of drink working among the poor, including the fallen women who offered themselves for sale. Mystery fiction writer M.J. Trow builds a case against Frederick Charrington, only to apologise at the end of it, saying he only picked on poor Frederick to show how easy it is to make out that just about anybody around the East End at that time can be made into a suspect. Another writer who contributes to the mammoth book of Jack the Ripper is Peter Turnbull, and he says Jack the Ripper was a creation of the newspapers. There exploitation of these murders simply to increase circulation whipped up a frenzy of mass hysteria, a crazed obsession with the bloody stories, newspaper stories that included detailed descriptions. Peter Turnbull suggests that the detailed description given of how the first bloody murder was carried out inspired somebody to commit a copycat murder, and then that murder inspired somebody else to commit yet another copycat murder, and so on. Jack the Ripper wasn't good, because Jack the Ripper never existed. <laughs> but the popular story pumped out by the newspapers in 1888, and the story that continues to this day, selling countless books, films and documentaries, is that a monster is just waiting for the right person to reveal his true identity. A monster called Jack the Ripper. A killer whose first victim was murdered in a pitch-dark lane right behind Whitechapel Station. Well, there we are. Thank you very much for listening to me, and um, I hope uh, you'll listen to another of my podcasts, and indeed I hope you'll join me on my Jack the Ripper's Whitechapel tour. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. <laughs>